What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 24, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Prisoners. And you can find us on all the places where you can expect to find us, on Google Play Podcasts, and on Spotify Podcasts, and even on Apple Podcasts, which Zach, uh, earlier this week, created quite a stir in the podcast community by sending off an email saying, you can't have episode numbers in your titles anymore, or else we'll ban you. What? Yeah, and then there was a whole lot of people that said, what? And then the very next day, Apple said, just kidding. You can do it. It's fine. So they totally created a little drama in the podcasting community. Oh, goodness. Um, so uh, good news, dear listeners. I'm planning on posting this thing with an episode title so uh, or uh, number. Did I say number or title? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I don't remember what you said. Whatever. They, Apple said no numbers, and people were like, that's nuts. And uh, fast forward a little bit to this morning, and I'm thinking to myself, actually, it's not quite as nuts as it used to be, um, but whatever. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, but uh, once you do that, uh, you can rate and review us, and then most importantly, tell your friends about us. So that's where our bread and butter happens to be. We'll catch wind that people are recommending our show to other people, and then that's how uh, that's how that's how more folks start to listen, which is like mostly obvious, but. Uh, that's that's what that is. Indeed. So Zach, so, wh- yes. when a person discovers us and says, yes. "Holy cow, this thing's amazing," and they Which want to is. tell us how yes. amazing this is, yes. how do they do that? Well, they can email us, Brent, and they can email us at our email address. Uh huh. And that email address is okay. Walking through the Stargate at gmail dot com. Okay, you ready? Uh, ready how to do you spell that? Okay. It's W L K I N G T H R U G H T H E S T A R G A T E at gmail dot com. Got it. Got it. I'm a good, I'm a, it's a good thing I'm a fast writer. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So <laughs> it, it is spelled exactly how it should be spelled, given the words walking through the Stargate. <laughs> no fancy business. No, nope. uh, no, no shortcuts. Nope. No, nope. no, no underbars, no dots, no, no, no. no fancy underbars. other symbols, nope. no emoji. No, just walking through the Stargate at gmail.com. Yeah. But if, for whatever reason, you have this phobia with emails, and I understand because, you know, there's a phobia for everything, and so surely yeah. there's a phobia for email, that's okay. I that up. Because you don't have to contact us by email. You could try other things. You could try Twitter. Find yeah. us on Twitter, at Stargate Walking, or on Facebook, at Walking Through the Stargate. We have a Facebook page. Like us. Follow us. We have a Facebook group. Uh, Anybody who says, hey, I want to join the Facebook group, I say, yes, sir, you can, or yes, ma'am, or yes, whomever you are, you're welcome to join us and participate in our conversations, Yep, which are meager, but, you know, it's up to you to help spur that along. (laughs) Hint, hint. Hint. As we have said many times, both Brent and I are terrible at social media, oh, but yeah. we are trying. Um, yeah. So help yes. us out, and that'll make things easier for us. That's a good point. You know, there's nothing wrong with admitting where you are weak, and uh, social media is where I am weak. Me too. Me too. Well, shall we get into Prisoners. Yes. Yes, we shall. Okay. Prisoners is directed by David Worry Smith. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is his third of 11 directing credits spanning the first four seasons. Uh, You might remember him, Brent, from There But For The Grace of God and Within Mm -hmm. The Serpent's Grasp. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's that Kung Fu Legend Continues guy, right? (laughs) Um, So I was looking at his own personal page. Uh Um, And in addition to being a director, he's also written a few things. And as I was looking at his resume, he has this thing, uh, a screenplay called It Must Be You. There is a series that he was a writer called CRI, another series called Something Blue, and then <laughs> Colonoscopy. Wait. For real? I'm dead serious. He, it's a short. Is this a... Okay. It's a short. It's not like a movie or a screenplay or anything, but it is called Colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Uh-huh. And he wrote it. And I read that, and I'm like, 
I've got to share that with Brent. <laughs> so there you go. I, I gotta. I, I have to. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna have to write write this one down. I. Uh, I hope it's on YouTube. You know what? Let me. You know, I did some looking to see if clack. I could find it, and I couldn't find anything about it other than well, on his resume. Um, uh-huh. But I didn't do that much looking, and I didn't try very hard. So go ahead and give it a try. Let's see, see if, if I can, can give find it a shot. It. Sure. Uh, dear listeners, if you find information about colonoscopy written by David Worry Smith, and just so you know, I'm not talking about just any old colonoscopy here. Only the one written by David Worry Smith. Let us know. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, yeah. The colonoscopy. Oh, the uh, colon. Uh, my mistake. Yeah, that's fine. Now, not find anything handy. Huh, he must not want it known. Hmm. Well, David Worry Smith, challenge accepted. <laughs> Gonna see if I can find this. I bet you, well, I bet you it's poo. I bet you it's uh, not probably, that good. Probably. Well, <laughs> while you are making another poo joke, uh, let me tell you about the teleplay. Yeah, okay. The teleplay for Prisoners was written by Terry Curtis Fox. This is his... First of three writing credits, he has two uh-huh. in season two and then another one in season three. Okay. Uh, his first writing credits, according to IMDb, were a couple of episodes for Hill Street Blues in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spent some time in Chicago, which I thought interesting because, well, uh, we both have connections to Chicago. Yep. Uh, and while he was in Chicago, he was the film critic for the University of Chicago. The oh. Chicago newspaper, The Maroon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was the film critic for The Daily Planet. And then still later, uh, the theater critic for The Chicago Reader. Yeah, uh, okay, cool. So so he's got those connections to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also in this episode, we have a guest actor. Bonnie Bartlett plays Linnea. Yes. Uh, uh, she was born June 20th, 1929 in Wisconsin okay. Rapids, Wisconsin, but she grew oh. up in Moline, Illinois, which is okay. actually not far from either one of us, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, she attended Northwestern University, and she mm-hmm. has had a one heck of a career from the 1950s all the way to the present. So I'm glad that you're bringing her up because as I was looking at her, I'm like, I've seen you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I went ahead and uh, took a look at the um, IMDb credits for her as well, which you're probably going to get into. And the short version of it is I was going through the things and I'm like, all right, well, I can't remember exactly where I saw your face, but it's probably one of these things because it was a long list. (laughs) It is a long, long list. Well, as I was looking through that, um, there were a lot of things that popped up. But the one that popped up for me that that really kind of highlighted for me is that she played the character of Patience in the TV show Firefly. Yeah, that was the one that really stood out for me. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And actually, you know, maybe when I watched Firefly, uh, I made the connection, but I don't remember making the connection. And so reading this, I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't realize this. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, go look up Bonnie Bartlett on IMDb, and you can see all sorts of stuff that she's been. She's just been in tons and tons and tons of things. Yep. Um, and uh, she's awesome in this episode. Uh, okay, so Prisoners was uh, originally aired on July 10, 1998. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number one on the charts in the U.S. was still The Boy's Mind by Brandy and Monica. Mm-hmm. And in the U.K., it was still Because We yeah. Want to by Billy. Wait, no, that's new. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I didn't fix my show notes. Just a <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. I was going to say, wait a minute, like, okay, it wait, would wait. still be three and lions. in the UK, a new one, because new one. we want to buy Billy. I don't, is that, is that, um, um, ah, uh, wow, somebody needs to revoke my nerd card. Who was the, oh, come on, what was the name of the actress who was the first companion for the reboot of Doctor Who? Uh, Shoot. Oh yeah. no! Yeah, oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's early, friends. It's early. I'm sorry. Billy Piper. We know this. Billy Piper. Who? Billy Piper. Piper. Isn't that right? Is it Billy Piper? 
It's got to be Billy Piper. Please be Billy Piper. Please be Billy Piper. Please be Billy Piper. B I L L I E P I P P E. No, one E. Just one Piper. One, no, Billy one Piper. P. Yes. Look. Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Woohoo! Now, was she, is she the Billy? Is she the Billy? Because I think that she was in music. You know, honestly? Yes. I didn't yes. look that close. It yes. Is. It's the same one. Yes. Well, there you go. Piper career, Piper's career began when she was selected to appear on the Saturday morning children's television show Scratchy and Company, or Scratchy and Co. She later landed a role in television commercial promoting the pop magazine Smash Hits. She was offered a, record, a record deal at the age of 15 and in 1998 became the youngest artist ever to debut at number one in the UK singles chart with Because We Want To, oh. released under the stage mononym Billy. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I still don't know at all hey, anything this about song. this song. So you know what that means, Zach. I'm going to find this thing, and we're going to be popping it in here. So you ready? So you ready oh, to start dancing what? to the song we don't know about right now? Yep, yep. here we go. Okay, here we go. And and now. Oh, yeah. This is, a, this is a good song. That's right. Hey, you know, oh, that, that's a really good lick right there. That's what That one right there? One, right? No. Uh-huh. And that one. And that one there, too. Yeah. Ooh, did you hear that? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, mm. that's smooth. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good stuff. All right, let's let's fade this All out. Right. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to get charged with any copyright laws. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. So, uh, in the box office for this weekend, number one is Mel Gibson's Lethal Weapon Four. Oh yeah. Uh, Armageddon is number two. Small don't Soldiers pops in at number three. <laughs> Doctor Doolittle. At number four, and Mulan rounds out the top five. Nice. Okay. Yep. So uh, I remember when Lethal Weapon came out. I actually, and I think I may have actually seen that one in the theater. Was that the last uh, one? Was that the last one that came? I out? or was there yet so. one more? Eh, I don't know. Uh, they, maybe they there was that one. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. So what was going on at this time? Well, frankly, not a whole lot. On uh-huh. July 10, the day it came out, uh, the Roman Catholic sexual abuse cases uh, were a big deal, and the Diocese of Dallas agrees to pay $23.4 million to nine former altar boys who claimed that they were sexually abused by the former priest, Rudolf Koss. So sometimes I get a little sad when I think to myself, Zach, this was 21 years ago. Yeah. Almost. Almost 21 years ago. And we are still dealing with the exact same thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, moving along. So what you're saying is we're really good at not changing. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, July 12th, a couple days later, South African President Nelson Mandela accompanies Queen Elizabeth II on a coach drive through the streets of London. Oh, nice. So, uh, there they were, driving around the streets. I mean, that's, you know, and that's, you know, that's, you know emblematic of a, of, a, of a big sea change. Yeah. So, speaking of things that do change, so there's that. There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I mean, the the transition away from apartheid in South Africa was... One of the few examples of a relatively smooth and fairly nonviolent process of mm-hmm. uh, functional change. Mm-hmm. So even when things are crappy, things actually do have a possibility of changing. I know. It's that we're cursed with, with being forced to look at these things through the lens of our own perspective, which, you know, at best is several decades old, which is well, not a lot of time. That's true. And actually, this will get into our episode a little bit, uh, I think, as we talk about uh, Linnea's comment about how to control people. Yep. Uh, All right. So, trivia. General Hammond, this is his first trip through the Stargate in this episode. Which, sorry, I'm eating an orange. Um, I did not really appreciate until it was like, until I was getting beat over the head with it. I'm like... Wait a minute, wasn't he traveling through the gate? No, he no. never has traveled through the gate. No, yeah. he has never traveled through the gate. So uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mark, uh, Unfortunately, he gets to travel to a soundstage with a spotlight over his head. That's a bummer. Well, that's true. That reminds me of Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Mark Aitchison, I'm not certain if I'm pronouncing that right, he played Vishnur. Uh, yes, he. Would I felt l- bad for him. Yeah, well, he would I later mean, 
play the voice of uh, Dakil in Stargate Infinity. Uh, And so for you dear listeners out there who weren't there when I was chatting with Brent before we started recording, Stargate Infinity is an animated version of Stargate. Uh, It was copyright 2002, it looks like. So this is a few years after where we are currently in the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it takes place a generation or so after all of the things that we see uh, in this time frame. And uh, perhaps one of these days, uh, not anytime in the immediate future, but one of these days, Brent and I will uh, watch Stargate Infinity and share our thoughts and comments on that. Uh, I watched, I don't know, we bought this DVD pack uh, a number of years ago because mm-hmm. it was Stargate and we were trying to be completionists and all of that stuff. And, and we watched uh, two or three, maybe four episodes. And my wife and I both said, oh, dear God, this is horrific. So and, it sounds to me like perfect material for you and I to watch. And then oh, it, it's absolutely perfect uh-huh. for you and I to go through and just, <laughs> just tear apart and have fun. Uh-huh. With. Um, yeah. But when I looked uh, on and I found out that the guy who played Vishnu, Mark Aitchison in here, also yeah. plays a voice in that, I had to uh, make note of it. Now, one thing that I there's so there, why I bring up that I felt bad for him. I felt bad for not the character. I felt bad for the actor. I felt bad for Mark because uh, before he was named, the very first scene that he's in is the one where he's like, you know, basically about ready to like haul uh, uh, Sam Carter off. Right. And it's strongly implied that he was about to like have her. And so I'm like, dude. That's a bummer. You get cast as the rapist. Like, that's what you get to be. So later on, he gets a name. Therapist. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shock at Trebek. Oh, boy. Right. Anyway, so, all right. So that was Mark. uh, That that was was Mark Mark Aikson. 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 Whatever. Uh, you know, if you know the pronunciation of that, you just let me know. Uh, hey, Mark should write us. Yeah. I don't think he's going to write us, Brent. Um, you never know, dude. You hey, never know. Maybe he is a super fan of Stargate SG-1 and loves niche podcasts <laughs> like ours. <laughs> so it could happen. So, Mark, if totally you're listening, happen. let us know. We loved you in this. I felt bad for you as a person. Yes. Your character was like it deserved what it got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of goofs in this episode. Um, Daniel says that Botany Bay was the original name for Sydney Harbor, uh, mm-hmm. but Botany Bay and Sydney Harbor are in fact different bodies of water. The original name for Sydney Harbor was in fact Port Jackson. See, he didn't want to bring that up. No, he didn't. Um, it was too close to home. Yeah. Well, you know that that's just like long lost cousin port. Right. No, no, no. I th- I think in I think in this Stargate, he's a rebel man. I think that he's a direct descendant. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well. Yeah. You don't. But I guess talk- he would be the direct descendant of the person whose namesake was on the port, which is probably not a uh, an inmate. It probably was some explorer. So yeah. True. Whatever. Uh, I mean, it's a goof. Yeah, yeah. They missed an opportunity though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, during the fight with Vishnu's gang, uh, Teal'c throws a punch, uh, and it clearly misses the guy by several inches, but the man is still knocked down. Um, I wrote this, and I was watching the episode, and I missed it. Um, in yeah. part because I was trying to do a hundred different things at the same time, uh, and I had forgotten that I'd written this when I was watching, so I wasn't paying close enough attention to see if I could find it. But, uh, I think hey, there it is. I- yeah, the the fight scene that I think is, is referencing, I think that he, he comes into the scene and like a quarter of a second later, it's over. So uh, it's it's not even like, I wouldn't even call it that much of a goof per se. It's, you know, I mean, whatever. It's stage acting. It's, you know, like, it's fine. Oh, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, shall we do the synopsis here, Brent? Yes. Let's do All it. All right. The synopsis for Prisoners. Trees and Moss. That's all this planet has to offer, at least according to Colonel O'Neill. And he is ready to pack it up and go home, 
despite Jackson's protestations. Uh, then, a panicked man stumbles upon SG-1. He's being chased by Taldor, and seems convinced that his life is in jeopardy. SG-1 offers him some kind of protection when suddenly the team, along with their new friend, is transported into a circle of light where disembodied voices announce judgment. For aiding a murderer and for trespassing on sacred ground, you are found guilty. At which time Jackson says, Justice! Taldor means justice! It, it just came to me. Uh, their sentence... A one-way trip through the Stargate. Hey, that's not too bad. To Hadante, where they will remain until they die. That doesn't sound very good. Upon arrival <laughs> at Hadante, they discover, not surprisingly, that there is no dial-home device. But before they can do anything, Captain Carter is attacked by another inmate, Unexpectedly, the altercation is halted by an older female inmate named Linnea. Linnea appears to be the only female in Hadante, except now for Carter, and seems to be the one person every other prison is most scared of. Carter is under her protection now. With this small amount of protection, SG-1 begins exploring the prison. Their only hope is to find a power source that will allow them to manually dial the gate. Teal and Jackson wander the hallways, while Carter and O'Neill decide to have a conversation with Linnea. Carter and Linnea develop a rapport as they discuss the prison power and the possibility of escape. Linnea reveals that with just a few drops of her activators onto a strange viney plant she can create cold fusion. With hope in her eyes, Carter realizes that this power can activate the gate and get them home. Not long afterward, the gate activates and the inmates scramble to collect a substance that looks like soupy concrete that is supposed to be food. SG-1 discovers that there is a strict hierarchy in the prison Vishnur, the biggest, baddest thug, holds everyone back while Linnea gets her share. Then Vishnur and his cronies, then everyone else, and finally SG-1. After everyone has gotten their portion of concrete soup, Linnea reveals why she was in prison. She tried to help during a massive plague. Many died, and she was blamed. Meanwhile, SG-3 has been sent to investigate why SG-1 is missing. Why SG-1 is missing. They converse with the Taldor and discover that SG-1 was sent to prison. After returning to the Stargate Command, they report back to the General, and Hamlin decides to get the diplomatic SG team, uh, SG-9, involved, and ultimately decides to go to the planet and speak to the Taldor himself. Despite his efforts, the Taldor are stubborn, xenophobic, and arrogant, and they will not release SG-1. Back on Hadante, the gate opens once again, sending a new prisoner through. And as the gate is about to open, Daniel sees several prisoners standing in front of the gate. If they stay where they are, they will be killed by the Kawush. But for them, they see it as freedom. Disturbed by their plan to kill themselves in a foolhardy plan to escape, Daniel tries to stop them. He fails. And Vishnur is there, gruff and angry, and wanting to punish Daniel for attempting to interrupt the prisoner's escape. Vishnur attacks Daniel, while his cronies hold back the rest of SG-1. Just as Daniel is about to lose consciousness, Linnea subtly uses some kind of hand device to end the fight. Vishnu appears to be dead, while everyone thinks Daniel somehow killed him. The new prisoner is Simeon. He is blind. And Linnea examines him while also caring for Daniel after his fight. Linnea reveals that Simeon was not always blind. And then she uses some kind of elixir to restore his sight. After the burning subsides, Simeon looks up sees Linnea, and immediately freaks out, running away, screaming. Confused, 
SG-1 turns their attention to their own breakout. Linnea agrees to help them. Their arrival has upset the balance of power, and now no one is safe, not even Linnea. In this process, Daniel all of a sudden remembers P2A-509. As Vishner was strangling the life out of Daniel, this planet popped into his head. You see, SG-3 was going to go to P2A-509 for their next mission. And if SG-1 gates to P2A-509, they can use one of SG-3's remote transmitters to return to Earth. They decide to break out at dinner time the next day. The gate opens, concrete soup pours out, they all wait for Daniel to dispense the food. And after allowing his teammates first choice, the rest of the prisoners get their food and run off. Immediately the team gets to work wrapping Linnea's roots around the Stargate and activating the cold fusion. The gate activates, and the team escapes. But unbeknownst to them, however, Simeon also manages to sneak through the gate. The rest of the prisoners, bummed that they too were not able to escape, return to their miserable existence. SG-1 is able to return to Earth. Hammond is surprised, but pleased to see them. The team, plus Linnea, then head to the infirmary to be checked out before the debriefing. Excited to learn all she can about cold fusion and the like, Carter shows Linnea how to use the SGC computers, and Linnea's true colors are revealed. She uses her hand device to knock Carter unconscious. She then proceeds to gather as much information from the SGC computers as she can. SG-3 returns to Earth with a captured simian. As they question the prisoner, he reveals that Linnea was not there to help with the plague. She was the one who caused the plague. She is the destroyer of worlds. Conveniently, it is at this very moment when the gate begins to activate. Linnea has locked them out of the computers. She sets the auto-destruct and plans her escape through the gate. She walks through the gate and shortly the whole computer system shuts down. The auto-destruct was a ruse, but then the computers pop on with a message. Thank you for your kindness. All debts have now been paid. SG-1 realizes they freed the destroyer of worlds, and that she has access to hundreds of possible destinations to choose from. The End Bum, bum, bum. So, Brent. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> Prisoners. Yeah. What'd you think? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, this one is solidly okay. <laughs> 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 there, there are parts about it which I thought were delightful parts about it which i thought were completely eye-rolling parts of it which i thought were just wooden parts of it which i thought were boring and parts of which i thought were interesting so you know like if i were to take an average of all of those i would kind of land on okay but um it could have it could have easily went into bad and it could have easily went into good so uh, you know uh, take this for what take this for what it is uh things things that i liked about it um, I really liked the set. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I thought that the uh, uh, that the set design uh, and the soundstage for the prison planet was was just visually luscious. I mean, mm-hmm. there was just so much to look at, even though it was all the same. Like you know, it was all this rooty action, but whatever. I mean, it was it was just there was a lot there. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, lighting was pretty good too, and uh, oh yeah, lighting was great. Now that I'm thinking about it, like that potion wall. I noticed that they were using the UV light action to make those potions glow. You know, yeah. I mean, like. Yep. Yep. Little things. It was just nice to look at. Um, I also was really getting a big kick out of the sound effects. So all of those uh, prisoners in the background just wailing and yelling and, mm-hmm. and and all that commotion back there. So it was reminding me very much of the opening uh, act in the video game Neverwinter Nights, which came out in 2002 or three, And uh, it, you start off in a prison section of a city. And so the 
the background sounds are like almost identical to what I was listening to in this Stargate episode of, you know, who toddler shouts, uh, you know, angry, angry voices, uh, uh, panicked voices, you know, screams, right. you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Um, then I was, I was enjoying that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just want to pop in there. Yeah. Uh, as I was watching this episode this time, I was noticing how the prisoners in the background just kind of moved around and yeah, I, I really appreciated it. I just I thought, you know what that that that's good directing, good good uh, action for those extras in the background as as they're just kind of sure. in the scene but out of the scene. Um, yeah. I kind of like that. There, it, it, there was. I think that that is one of those great little moments of it was simultaneously good and simultaneously bad. At least for me, the one okay. scene where the SG one team is uh, you know huddled talking about what to do. And all of those prisoner extras were in the background, moving back and forth, holding pikes, just sort of ominously like being present. And yet the SG one team was just having a conversation as if they weren't even there. (laughs) And so, and so part of me was like, okay, are we gonna, is, you know, is the scene going to resolve with O'Neill saying, you know, all right, that's all well and good. Now let's kick these guys butts. Bang, bang, pow, pow. You know, like, you know, I was half expecting that. Or I was half expecting the prisoners to jump them, and, and, and it just never happened. I mean, mm, so, mm-hmm. so they were there, and they were menacing, and they were moving around, and it was interesting. And, and sometimes the continuity on the shots was a little off, but, you know, whatever. I'll let it slide. Yeah. But, um, but right. I mean, but, like, why they were there and why they were moving around, it was just, it was just ominous background. And yeah. that's, you know, it's appropriate, but it's also a little, like the way it was shot wasn't quite it was a little distracting as opposed to effective so you know i can see that yeah but uh speaking of bad guys yes uh i like uh i like that we got a i like that we got a new bad guy i like Mm -hmm. i love it i love it when new bad guys are revealed like i'm kind of realizing that about myself i know that it creates for more loose ends but you know we've got the gould who are the original bad guy right and We've got, uh, you know, we know of the Unas, but, you know, they haven't, I mean, it's, it's just like been one. Um, right. What other bad guys do we have? We got, we got now the Destroyer of Worlds out there. That's a bad guy. Um, well, I think, I think this might be the first bad guy that is, nah, well, is I mean, you've got, guy? you've got Mayborn and some of the other, and Kinsey, who are yes. the government, who are definitely yes. bad guys. Yes, um, that's right. Um, but as for yeah, out, you know, in the universe, out there, bad I think guys. Right mm-hmm. now, we have our Guauld and Guauld related. That is to say, the Unas. Yeah. Um, and then now Linnea. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I'm excited. Yay. Yeah. I, I I I hope that her story comes back. Whether or not she does is another matter. But I hope her story comes back. I um, will not tell. Of you. Of course, you won't. Don't. It's no. not your, it's, it's, it's right now. One thing though, that I wanted to bring up, I don't know if the writers were doing this intentionally or not, but there were some electricity related puns that were flying around towards the beginning of their uh, arrival on the prison planet. Okay. There was, uh, there was that, uh, they were kind of figuring out what they needed and they realized that they needed power. There's lots of forms of power and they needed electricity. And, uh, that's when uh, I think it was O'Neill that was talking about that they get to see who's in charge. Hey-o! Hey! <laughs> and then there was the other one where, or no, yeah, they, they were talking about the kinds of power. And uh, there's many different kinds of power. We need the electrical kind. And something was said. And then I think O'Neill said, well, then we both have something that the other wants. Hey-o! <laughs> oh, I'm pretty where? sure he said wants, that, but that, that I was, couldn't that, help that it. That was a want. That wasn't a Watt. I think he said Watts. Okay. I think he said Watts. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. And then, but then there was the, then there were the parts that were just a little, well, okay. I'll get into the Mimbad in here in a second. What else? What, Zach, what'd you like about this episode? Um, you know, the things that I, I liked about this episode, uh, really have a lot of sense. You know, last week we were talking, I think it was last week, talking about how SG-1 is not one that usually will give you a lot of things to chew on or to think about. Uh, this mm-hmm. is an episode that gives you at least a couple of different things mm. to talk mm-hmm. about at, after the episode. They don't really dig into them per se, but they lay them out there, uh, and they're worth talking about. Things like justice. What does it mean to be just? Uh, what yeah. is just? What isn't? Um, 
you know, and and then along that line, you know, the Taldor uh, uh, have apparently virtually no crime, but they also have one very, very extreme uh, right. sentence for everything. And I right. have to wonder, would that actually work? Um, and and if I don't know, there's just things for me to think about. Um, as we go forward. And then the other one was also prison ethics, right? Uh, Linnea talks mm-hmm. about there are two ways to control a society, either with fear or with hope. Um, mm-hmm. And this then becomes uh, really important, you know, in the storyline, it was, well, you know, the hope for relief, which is uh, what those prisoners were were hoping for when they jumped into the kawush. Um, yeah. uh, and then you also have the fear of Vishnur and such. Uh, clearly, uh, Linnea has developed her own sets of fear and hope within that, uh, within her role and place in the, the prison. Um, but uh, our society today is dealing with a lot of fear and hope and trying mm-hmm. to uh, navigate that. Uh, um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I liked how, how they just kind of set these out there. And, and they let them play out within the sphere of the episode, but they didn't go into a whole lot of detail into uh, how we need to process it, but instead just gave us something that we ought to think about in our daily life. Yeah. So I liked uh, those elements to it. Um, I think it was last week. Uh, I can't remember what you were doing, but you were talking about small feet. Um, and, and in relation to this episode, oh, yeah. may, maybe yeah. it was... Uh, in your your recap of what, your your you know uh, discussion of what this episode I can't remember uh, and basically the first thing we do when we get onto Hadante is we see these two shoes with cauterized yes. feet and uh, I just like hey there you go yeah there's the small feet <laughs> I I can't remember what joke I, whatever yeah I'll have to yeah. Um, so I'll have to revisit. Uh, also, I liked the callback to Torment of Tantalus, right? The whole idea of manually dialing the gate and needing yeah. some power to do that. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. uh, I liked that. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, other things that I liked about this episode. Um, I know that, that, that's as I kind of scan through my notes here. Those are the kind of the big ones that, that, that I particularly liked about it. Um, uh, I liked how Linnea was portrayed as kind of this ominous character, but uh, yeah. you know you don't really expect her to go bad like that until the end. Um, at least I don't think you do. Uh, it's hard for me to remember what it would feel like to watch it for the first time. So you'll have to tell me about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, at what point in time did you kind of figure out that she was no good? Hmm. As I'm thinking about it, there were, in my opinion, they were using tropes to signal to me that she's not good. Um, the trope of the witch is the thing that comes to mind right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was brewing potions. Uh, and um, the. Uh, and she wasn't and, and the trope of uh, that she wasn't. Um, exceedingly beautiful right like if if uh the trope of if a woman is on screen and she isn't young and beautiful then there's something about her and if she's not old and wise you know so like there was just enough uh uh um ominousness you know she wasn't set up as a grandmotherly figure like uh who is who was oh shoot what's her name um uh Catherine? that's who uh Right, we were we were given a lot of information that set her up as a good soul, mm-hmm. uh, Catherine, and we were not given a lot of information to set up Linnea as a good soul. So as a result, uh, here is this uh, here is this older woman who is uh, um, you know it's all it's all rationally set up. There's a reason that she's quote brewing potions unquote is because you know she's a scientist. Um, you know there's a reason why she knows all this stuff. It's because she's learned. Um, mm-hmm. She is uh, why is she here on the prison planet? well she was wrongly convicted and we're setting up that story being plausible by having this other group of uh uh justice uh, uh um matters i don't know people that are you know entities that met out justice uh we've established that they are harsh um 
any infraction whatsoever puts you in this prison. So her story of being falsely blamed uh, starts to stand up. Um, The way that she's playing the character, she's not overly soft. Um, She is talking about uh, uh, rule. Uh, you know, the, she's 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 viewing herself as a ruler, not a leader, but a ruler. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are these subtle clues that are being kind of put out there that says, you know, she's not good. She's she's uh, you know, she might not be bad, but she's not good. And then as it plays out, uh, you know, as it was happening, it was getting towards the end of the episode. And I was feeling, you know, they, they everybody had escaped and they got through they got to the SGC and um, uh I can't remember if when they're standing on the ramp, if I had, if I knew for a fact that she was bad or not, I mean, they were definitely starting to play those cards out, but whatever. I knew that there was something more to this that was going to be happening, even though at that particular moment, I couldn't figure it out. And then they turn the corner into, she gains uh, access to all this information, knocks everybody out and starts doing something. And then I'm like, okay, here's, you know, here's the hook. But we literally have like two minutes left. So what's so what are we going to do here? And, you know, it turns out that, you know, she escapes through the gate. Right. I'll admit I was um, I was fooled that, uh, you know, I was concerned about like the destruction sequence and things. I'm like, how on earth are they going to get out of this one? And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, it was a ruse. Right. Uh, But that also brings up kind of the other bad parts, which were sort of the unbelievability of some moments within the story. Uh So the powwow with the bad guys circling them was a little unbelievable. Mm. Jackson standing in front of the gate while the addresses are getting dialed and him all calmly like, hey, dudes, you're going to die. Not believable. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, I noticed that, too. And I'm like, like, seriously? Right. Um, Aren't you glad that guy pushed you out of the way? Because otherwise you would have been like you know kawooshed kawooshed too <laughs> yeah. uh it was it was a little like really um one of the things that i wrote down as bad was you know i just got done complimenting the sound effects well the sound effects were also kind of bad too because they were really over the top mm. it was fun um i was enjoying it but it was pulling me away it was it was a little like hey listen to that that sounds kind of neato like i wasn't i wasn't paying attention to the story i was paying attention to the trappings sure and uh uh, and so that 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 uh, that ultimate scene with Linnea, um, I wrote a little note down like, you know, once she knocked everybody out, hey, look at that. She knows how to touch type already. Like she hasn't seen a keyboard ever. And she's just like, you know, like, um, y- yeah, she's a genius, like a super genius, a super genius villain. Um, so geniusy that she's able to completely hack into the control system of the SGC and just write it to her whim right. completely start to finish, including the uh, self-destruct sequence, which theoretically ought to be one of the most robust pieces of security that the thing has, because you do not want bad guys overriding your self-destruct. <laughs> Yet she did it without problem. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I was going through, uh, you know, preparing the show notes and whatnot, that was actually made a comment of in uh, one of the sites that I was going through is that yeah. that here's this woman who she's like, what's a computer? And then all of a sudden she's like, boom. Uh, and then within that, they were like, you know, think about this. You know, if she is, in fact, the evil genius that she is, then a computer system uh, yes. itself is something that she would have familiarity with. If she's gotten to a point where she can create in a prison, some potions and elixirs that will A, restore eyesight, and B, create cold fusion Right. with a, a little eyedropper of stuff, beep, beep, boom, all of a sudden right. you've got energy, um, you know, then uh, if she's got all of that, maybe she's just playing them a little bit more. Uh, totally the catch though is that we have we are effectively it's not really retcon that we're doing but um there is an extremely subtle difference between spoon feeding the audience information so that they get it versus giving them all the pieces that they need to construct the understanding when you hit the aha uh, versus what we're doing which is uh, taking a moment that immediately was like, really? You're able to do that? And then saying, 
well, I guess if this and if that, then this. Right. right? Like, it's fine. It's okay. Um, but this is another element, which is why I'm kind of in the, kind of in the, you know, this is solidly okay. It's because it's not unbelievable, but it was not the kind of fun moment that you get when they hand you piece A, piece B, and piece C, and you don't see how A, B, and C relate to each other. And then they hand you piece D, and everything lines up. And you're right. like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, which, of course, is distinct from piece A, uh-huh, piece B, of course, piece C, yeah, piece D, well, that follows, right? Like, that <laughs> is unsatisfying, too. Um, so, you know, yeah, anyway, that's yeah. that's yeah. that. Fair enough. Um, one of the things that, that I thought was really odd is um, they have no reference to figure out what the point of origin is. So even yes. if, even if they could get it powered, and then you know they're looking for an address, and you know as as Daniel is about to die, uh, he remembers oh P two A five zero nine or whatever it is, and I'm like that's great, that's the planet, that's not the address to the planet. Yeah. Do you remember the address because we kind of need right. that, um, and the point of origin, which. Um, you know, if you have a dial home device, I can totally just kind of, you know, hand wave that away and figure out, you know, that that's relatively easy to figure out with the dial home device. Um, but without that, um, now, you got 37 got odd choices. <laughs> right. Um, is, did I miss it? Is it established that travel is one way? Um... Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, that was established in the movie. Um, that in order to travel, because, I mean, the whole idea, the reason that Jackson had to go to Abydos in the movie is because they could get, they had the coordinates to get from Earth to uh, Abydos, but to go the other way, they had to get the other coordinates for Earth and the, the point of origin, which right. is Abydos. So, but what... So what I'm asking, though, is, okay, sure, but uh, what I'm actually asking is, okay, once the connection is established between the gates, so basically what I'm saying is this, when a prisoner is thrown through the gate, what happens if a person throws themselves through the, through the gate? Not in the kawoosh, but the other way. Once the kawoosh is done and the gate is shimmering and you see a guy falling out, right. what would have happened if somebody were standing there and jumped in? Um, you know, that's a good question. That's never, well, it certainly hasn't been talked about so far. And I don't know if it ever is talked about. They, okay, it is, it has been established and it will continue to be set up, uh, that, that travel through a gate is one way that you Fine. can only travel through. That said, they also make note that, uh, even through an outgoing wormhole, you can send, or an, or an incoming wormhole, you can send radio transmissions. So radio transmissions yeah, can right. go two ways. So yeah. there are some things that go two ways, but generally, but you can't actually like travel through uh, an right. outgoing wormhole. Well, then I'll, I'll, I'll continue to consider it as just a fact of the storytelling universe that, that matter can only go one direction. Right. Fine. Uh, that, that was established in the movie. Um, and so it is not a spoiler for me to say that as the series progresses, I don't know if that's actually been talked much explicitly so far in what we've seen, uh, but that'll come up and, and become more established as we go on. But that was already established in the movie, so I can say it now. I, uh, I think I will take this opportunity to invite dear listeners to write in. And uh, for real, I'm not being disingenuous. Like, point me right at the thing and be like, right there, Brent. That's where it was established that when the gate when the gate connections are there, the, the travel is one direction. You can't just stand by the gate, wait for it to turn on and then jump through and end up at the origin point. Right. Well, I could tell you that right now. Um, Where's that? In the movie. Yeah. Um, they, they get to uh, Abydos. They don't know right. it's Abydos at the time, but they get to Abydos. Right. And uh, I think it's Ferretti and one of the other uh, uh, soldiers they're talking about it, uh, and, and they're like, oh, well, it's not such a big deal. Eventually, uh, Earth will, will get uh, concerned about us. They'll open the gate, and then we can go through. 
And yeah. Ferretti says, that's not how it works. If we don't open the gate from our end, we're never getting home. Something like that. I believe it. I don't remember that line exactly. Okay, fine. It is there. Weird. Yeah. How would they know that? Anyway, okay. I, like I said, I will gladly accept for the purposes of not getting hung up on this thing. of like, duh, just stand by the gate and wait, stupids. Um, <laughs> that Indeed, that is how the gate works. So that, That's how the it, gate works. I'll take Ferretti's uh, explanation as law. That's not how it works. You gotta, you gotta start from the right point of origin in order to get to where you need to go. Yep. It is a one-way street. Yep. Yep. So, um, anything else that you've got to toss out here? Nope. Nope. I think I've said all I need to say. Um, let's see here. A couple of things that I really kind of just thought, thought was fun. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, shoot. Where is it? Uh, uh, my, my patience with you will expire. So like, like, uh, one, we could be cut to the scene and, and uh, O'Neill or not O'Neill, Teal is holding this guy up by his yep. neck and he's yep. like, if you touch me or any of my friends, my patience with you will expire. <laughs> and then he just kind of <laughs> yes. tosses him off like a rag yes. doll and, and he runs yes. off. And I'm like, oh, that, that's just, just kind of a fun moment right there. Yep. Um, yep. uh, you know, so uh i guess that's probably it uh there are other things i could talk about but i don't need to um and we've we've chewed on this one long enough uh which brings me to my question that i ask at this point in time every episode yep so brent prisoners Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. out of seven chevrons how many chevrons does it get the good parts were good and there's definitely some meat and potatoes for future episodes. No question. And there were some parts that were pulling me away from the storytelling. And there were some parts that were a little eye rolling. So if this were literally like an average of the good parts and the bad parts, it's going to be kind of in the middle. But it's leaning more towards, eh, this is a good one. So I'm going to give it four out of seven chevrons. Four out of chevrons. Seven. Four, four out, out of seven chevrons. That's not the first time I've done that. I'm like, I'm nope. Seven chevrons. It's so easy to say. So, four uh, chevrons. Yeah. I'm thinking of this episode, and, you know, I just, I agree with you. This This mm-hmm. is a good Middle-of-the-road episode. Uh, I think that the parts that are good outweigh the parts that are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to agree with you and also give uh, prisoners four chevrons. Yes. That is the right decision. Well, I know. It's because yeah. I gave it. Oh. Oh, I see oh. what you did there. Oh, well, I see what you did there. Yeah, No, you don't. Because I, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> i'm doing that thing that humans do we see patterns in chaos all the time what (laughs) patterns Patterns. we find patterns in chaos all the time yes we do that's Mm -hmm. why somebody can look at a piece of burnt toast and say it's jesus oh it's the face of the savior that's right because we all know what jesus face looks like (laughs) <laughs> yeah we do he looks like that one uh what's the what's the story it's like a like a duke or something in like the lombardy court in the 16th century oh, it's like some be. dude yeah like there's one guy and um i can't remember who was the painter that first did it but you know a painter did it and then lots of people were like yeah that's that is a beautiful face i'll do that too well there you go Hmm. yep okay brent Mm-hmm. The next episode is called The Gamekeeper. Uh-huh. What's The Gamekeeper all about? I'll tell you what The Gamekeeper is all about. Please do. The SG-1 team steps through the gate and finds themselves in Zach's living room. What? They look around and they say, wait a minute, this looks vaguely familiar. And then somebody else says, well, yeah, this is Earth. What? How could it be Earth? Around the corner comes Zach in his pajamas and says, what are you guys doing here? And they say, 
We're explorers exploring a new world. Who are you? Zach stands in front of his 17 bookcases full of games and says, <laughs> I am the gatekeeper. Not gatekeeper. Gamekeeper. Shoot, I messed it up. Let me try that again. <clears throat> he stands in front of his 17 bookcases full of games and says, I am the gamekeeper. Tune in next time for Stargate SG-1, Ooh. The Gamekeeper. <laughs> uh, so is it, is it a story about you, Zach? You know, it, 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 it most definitely is a story about me. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> you, you nailed it right on the head. Uh, oh, I'm so, so glad. So that my dear listeners understands at least a little bit what he's doing. Um, uh, my wife and I are very big fans of board games. And I uh-huh. have a wall covered in bookshelves that are not books, it's, but games. It's awesome, impressive, and yeah. When uh, you first said the title, I immediately thought of you. Yeah. Uh, now, that said, while we do have quite a number of games, something in the neighborhood of probably 300, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I haven't counted in a while. Um by no means is this the largest game collection out there. Uh, we even have friends who have more games than we do. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> My mother had me tested. <laughs> Zach, I never said it was crazy. It's impressive <laughs> is what it is. It is impressive. It is a wall of delight. Yep. Um, That's what that although is. we didn't really start uh, gathering games and adding to our library until um, much later than 1998. Um, it was about so it's not a story about you. No. Oh. Well, I mean, it, it it might be. Shall we find out what the gamekeeper yeah. is really all about? Yeah, let's let's figure this out. All sure. right. Uh, are you ready? Yes, I am. I think. Didn't go now. All right. On the next Stargate SG-1. What the hell just happened to us? What if you were forced to relive the worst moment of your life? I'm either dreaming or hallucinating. Counter-Strike 2? And over again. <laughs> is that real enough for you, Jack? That was Richard a fake D. punch. And the SG-1 yeah, was a you are caught in a game. Oh, this can't be real. This is too real. Controlled by one man. Allow me to... Oh! Uh huh. Keep it of all that is, was, and will be in this place. A game where the line between reality Ooh. and nightmare Fancy. This game now ceases to exist. <laughs> I want to get out of here. Whoa! <laughs> can I? Can I please someday be able to grab somebody by the by the shirt and just say, "Stop this game now"? <laughs> Brent. Oh. I will not stop you from doing that. Uh-huh. Um, you might get sent to a funny farm if you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on who you do it to. Yes. Um, but you go right ahead. Oh, that was that's I, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to watching this one. Ah, well, did you this happen is, to notice is... who plays the gamekeeper? Yeah, the face looked familiar. Who was that? Uh, uh, that would be uh, somebody you would recognize from both Star Trek The Next Generation as well as the A-Team. The A-Team? Who? Was that Face? No. No, who was that? Crazy one. I don't know. Dwight Schultz. Yeah, Faith. Or no, not Face. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember his name right now. But yes, okay. Uh, he played what, Reginald what? Barkley in Star Trek. That's Yes. So How we on earth did I another connection to Star Trek here. Yeah. So. Man, I I don't think I really put it together that, what was his name in the A-Team? What was the character's name? I can't remember off the top of my head. Something. Uh-oh. But I'm really sad that only now am I putting together that that guy on the A-Team was Reginald Barkley, who had a long and prodigious Star Trek career. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But glad to see him here. Yeah, glad to, glad to get another glad to have another another opportunity. Yep. So that's the gamekeeper. Yeah. 
Uh, and with that, I ask you, my dear listeners, uh, to tell us what you think. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Tell us what you thought of prisoners. Tell us where we got it right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us your favorite parts and your worst favorite parts. Uh, you figure <laughs> out what that means. Uh, and when you do, you let me know because... Yeah, uh, you know, find us on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page. Uh, like us, follow us there. Uh, join us on our Facebook group. Uh, join the conversation. Have fun with it. Um, all of those things. So yes, yes. With that, I like it. I'm Zach, and I'm Brent, and this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs> <laughs>